Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, before we uh, jump into a full introduction for my guest today, who is Lori Lakeman, an American uh, composer of uh, art songs and opera and uh, other forms of music. She's doing a residency at uh, Utah State University. thought it might be nice to hear a bit of her music. And so we'll let's hear a portion of this. It's a song called The Apple Orchard, set to a poem by Dana Joya. This is uh, tenor Robert McPherson with the composer Lori Laitman on the piano. So there's a portion of uh, Laurie Laitman's song, The Apple Orchard. It's set to a poem by Dana Joya. We heard tenor Robert McPherson with the composer uh, at uh, the piano. Laurie Laitman has been described by Fanfare Magazine as one of the most talented and intriguing of living composers. Uh, she's composed multiple operas and choral works, over 250 songs, setting texts by classical and contemporary poets, including those who perished in the Holocaust. Her music is widely performed internationally and throughout the United States and has generated substantial critical acclaim. Among her works is an opera, The Scarlet Letter, set to a libretto by Colorado's former poet laureate David Mason, based on the Nathaniel Hawthorne novel. Uh, Leitman and Mason also collaborated on Vedum, a Holocaust-themed oratorio commissioned by Music of Remembrance. Uh, Leitman's children's opera is called The Three Feathers, with a libretto by Dana Joya. It's based on the Grimm fairy tale. Um, and uh, other works include a very interesting uh, song cycle uh, called Our Women People, celebrating 100 years of women's suffrage. And interestingly, in that piece, uh, there's a musical setting by Laurie Laitman of the 19th Amendment. We'll hear about all this music. We'll hear some of Lori Laitman's uh, music. Lori Laitman is on the USU campus uh, right now uh, doing a residency. Last night, uh, she gave a keynote address for the Center for Women and Gender. And uh, she's been coaching students and faculty on her songs, and that will culminate in a concert of her music. That recital is tonight, 7.30, in the Russell Wanless Performance Hall on the USU campus. This conversation... Uh, is a part of uh, USU's Year of uh, the Arts. Here's the first part of my conversation with uh, Lori Laitman. Let me jump in maybe with your keynote address, uh, which happened uh, last night uh, for the Center for Women and Gender. Um, So tell me a little bit about about the keynote. Yes, well, in the keynote, I focused a little about my, on my circuitous path towards becoming a composer, and a composer specifically, um, um, working with voices, uh, or mostly working with voices. So um, I was originally 
hoping. I mean, I was a flutist. I spent my entire life studying flute, and my initial goals were to play flute in an orchestra. But I uh, eventually <laughs> found my own voice, uh, writing for the voice. So I, um, I spoke about that, and I spoke about my creative process, how I take a poem and translate it into music. And also, um, for me, because my studies, my early composition studies were in creating music for film and theater, um, I learned so much in that one particular class that had been taught by the great composer Frank Lewin um, that I view my poems as miniature films. So I feel like I'm still writing music for film and theater. Mm. I want to talk about that circuitous path that you, you made reference to. By the way, good reading if you want to go to LaurieLateman.com. No, no, ArtSongs.com. Uh, arts, arts, sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah. ArtSongs.com. I figure nobody would know who Laurie Lateman <laughs> right, was, but right, people right. who were interested in art songs yes. might, might come across me. Art, ArtSongs.com. It was in the early days of the the web that yeah. I got that. And uh, you're you're you know down doing opera and everything, but Art Songs is where you got your start. Yes, so. yes. Um, and your Twitter handle is at Vocal Composer. Yes, it is, which after last, uh, the last presidential election took on an entirely different meaning. I've, as I I've became noticed. Vocal, vocal, <laughs> very vocal <laughs> in my protests, I would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so on the website, artsongs.com, yes. uh, there's uh, biographical information. Just click on informal bio. You'll get the the interesting, or at least the the skeleton of the interesting story. Um, so you, you start out to be a flutist. Yes, yes, I'm a flutist. And in fact, your I guess your sisters had a chance to study with Nadia Boulanger. You had a chance as well, but you were a little intimidated, I guess. Yes, too scared. Which I would be too. <laughs> <laughs> so I turned down a trip to France when I was 17, and I went to Interlochen, uh, the music camp in Michigan, and that changed the course of my life. Yeah, destiny, right? Because, I guess so. Because, because you met... I met this wonderful soprano, Lauren Wagner, who was my roommate, and we were the Lorries. Her nickname is Lori, and... Uh, Years later, when she won so many international competitions, she asked me to write songs for her debut CD, and I said I could not. Hmm. But she forced me. Nevertheless, she persisted. <laughs> right? Very good. Yes. Very good. And at that point, you had three kids? Yes, and, uh, I still have three kids. Thank goodness. And, <laughs> and if you're... Uh, if you have, so, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yes. A different meaning on that. They're grown um, up now. But I had three young children at the time, and, and I was so a housewife in Potomac. If you have kids, you're shuttling. You, know, yes. you spent a lot of your day shuttling kids around. And Absolutely. Driving, driving, driving. So this was... Um, thrilling for me to discover that I had a particular gift for, as I like to call it, translating a poem into music. Yeah. Um, so tell me about that. What, what you know? There's all kinds of composition. You found you had a, a particular gift for. You've discovered other. You know, you've composed other things now. Yes. Uh, including operas and, and other things. Well, that's but still that's still words. That's still words. That's my preference. It's for that's for still words. Words, words that's and right. music. That's yeah. right. Um, so art songs on, on, you have an FAQ on the, on the website. I do. And one of this, the questions is what is an art song? So yes. maybe start there. So I should go look at my website and see what I said. But, um, an art song is when a composer takes an existing poem and creates music for it. And that's it. Yeah. That's what an art song is. As opposed to a pop song where maybe you might write the music first and then write the lyrics. Uh, with classical song, it's never that way, because at least for me, um, I am custom crafting every melody to fit those words exactly, hmm. and I'm creating dramatic music that will hopefully illuminate the meaning of the text and give it a new interpretation through my eyes. Every song is only my interpretation of the poem. So what's your process then? You you find poetry that speaks to you. That's a, that's important. Yes, <laughs> that's the, you know. And if if it's a commission, you know, it has to not only speak to me, but whoever's commissioning me, somebody might have a particular poet in mind or a particular subject, and then I can search for the poet. Um, but yes, I I 
I hope to only set good poetry that speaks to me. Now, sometimes, for a variety of reasons, you might have to set a poem that is less than good. But you can still make a great song out of it. It's just harder. Hmm. Who is... uh who was the poet, the first the first one? That I said? That you said. Sarah Teasdale. Sarah Teasdale. Tell me about that. Okay. She's an American poet. I was uh I didn't know what to do when when I had to write for Lauren. So uh the first thing I did was listen to all of the songs that she sang and tried to figure out which of those songs she sang, which all sounded great, were the ones that I love the most, and actually I love the music of Paul Bowles. And my first song, The Metropolitan Tower, which is a Sarah Teasdale poem, um, was patterned on the Paul Bowles secret words because I didn't know what I was doing. So I figured, well, this sounds good, so let me make a song as close to that as I can make. So um, the right hand of the piano doubles the voice a lot. Now, later on, I had some feedback from Lauren's pianist, Fred Weldy, and he, I think, was sort of complaining that my piano parts were too easy. Mm. So I figured out what he didn't like to play and then wrote some things with those things in it. Mm. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, and so then, yeah, then feedback's my, important, right? Yeah. yeah. My um, piano parts uh, grew in complexity since the first song, mm. and the first song always kind of embarrassed me a little because it was very strophic and I was very intuitive and still am as a composer. Um, But I thought when I discovered Sarah Teasdale, I started to read a lot of poetry, that her poetry was a good fit for my lyricism. Her poems were very lyric and they were dramatic and they had some kind of little twist to them. So I felt uh, a kinship and... Some of them were in the public domain and some of them were not. And it took me about three years to get permission for the ones that were not in the public domain, which is why when I did my second song cycle, I picked very dead poets. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You have set Emily Dickinson. I have. I have set, I don't know how many, but maybe 30, 35 Emily Dickinson poems. She is such a genius. Uh, I I try to only set the ones that I think I understand, and sometimes it will take me months to ponder a line. Um, but I'm searching for the ones that are good for song that don't require that that can be understood on first hearing. And um, of course, she's in the public domain because she's long dead, and she's brilliant. So it's a great gift to me and to all composers of song. Yeah. What is it about Emily Dickinson? Well, it's about, uh, that, well, I mean, her whole way of looking at the world is so unique and expressing everyday life in a way that nobody's ever thought to express it before. Hmm. Yeah. That's what's appealing to me. Fresh. But, yeah. Yes. She's a genius. And I'm glad to hear you express, I, I, I'm not the only one. Sometimes I'll encounter an Emily Dickinson poem and I'll think, I can't understand I, I don't understand this. Yeah, I don't well, understand this. Yeah, and that obviously is not a good poem for song. Because right. if you can't understand it when you're looking at it and thinking about it, you know, how can somebody grasp it if it's coming to them through mm-hmm. their ears? You have to find the right kind of poem that's good for making a song. Yeah. If you just joined us, you're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're spending the hour with American composer Laura Laitman. And uh, we mentioned Emily Dickinson there. Let's let's hear some music. Uh, this is a setting of an Emily Dickinson poem by Laura Laitman. It's titled, If I. And uh, this is soprano Jennifer Check with pianist Warren Jones.
the music of Laurie Laitman, who is my guest for the hour. That's a setting of an Emily Dickinson poem, and uh, soprano Jennifer Check was heard there with pianist Warren Jones. What uh, what kind of poetry makes good songs? Or any good poetry makes a good song? Not any good poetry, because some good poetry is too dense and requires, like Emily, too much thought. You have to have a poem that... Um, at least on first hearing, somebody will be able to get the meaning of. So, um, you know, you still want it to be good, and you still want it to be a poem that has multiple layers of understanding, so you can always come back to it. Like any great masterpiece, you know, when you return to it, you always see something new. Um, But you're looking for something either that can tell a story or that says something about life that somebody can relate to or understand you don't want something too long. You don't want something too short. Interestingly, I recently did another Holocaust-themed song cycle uh, for um, a soprano in Birmingham, Christina Weisscheck, and Hurst Weisscheck, sorry. And um, I set the poetry of Nellie Sachs, uh, and this is, and it was also for a clarinetist Denise Ganey. And Nellie Sachs was a wonderful. German poet who escaped to Sweden uh, to escape the Nazis. And her poems are brilliant. But it wasn't until I was actually done with all of the composing that I realized that perhaps they weren't um, the ideal poems to set to music because there were so many interpretations and, and required so much thought. I did it anyway, and I think it came out really well. And people will get out of it what they get out. But um, there are so many ways to interpret uh, her words that um, it becomes a little bit more complicated as a song. Mm. Different art forms, of course, um, and dense poetry. You can you can, <clears throat> can stare at the page and have a good experience. Yes, art songs is a different experience. I want to uh, have you talk about that experience. What what do you hope you know a uh, person going to a concert of maybe one of your song cycles? Mm-hmm. What, well, I hope, what do you that hope they, they experience? I hope they love it. I hope they think it's beautiful. I'm always hoping to add beauty to the world. That's really my goal. Um, they, I hope they might explore that poet. But really, I want to tell a story, and I hope that people are moved by the experience. Also on the, your FAQ, yes. um, there are questions about, uh, are you okay with uh, transposing it you know, up and down mm-hmm. the register? You say fine, right? Uh, yes, as long as it works with the accompaniment. Yeah. Because sometimes if I've already used the piano and I've got the lowest note on the piano and the highest note, there's no room to move that around. Right. But right. Um, I, this is something I stole from Lauren Wagner, my motto, uh, a happy singer is a good singer. Mm. And so because if they're happy and they feel comfortable singing – uh, they can then communicate the words effectively to the audience. Right. Um, could could you transpose enough to say you know take it from a soprano to a bass baritone, or is that? It depends, you know, um, and it depends on the text as well. Uh, whether that kind of text, if it was originally for soprano, would work for, mm-hmm. with a man singing it. Most of the time, yes, and most of the time, in answer to your question, yes. Uh, I can do it, and I think it will work. Because in my songs, and um, this is something I touched on in my speech uh, last night, my my talk, um, timbre is not the most important thing in songs for me because I think the DNA of my songs is in the melody and the harmony. So that's why I think it translates well to different voice types. There are certain voice types that are more ideal, And it's interesting because once I started writing opera, I found, of course, that timbre was mm, primary. You know, it was so important to the character and to the, um, uh, well, of course, to the orchestration. But in songs, for me, it's it's pretty low down on the list. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking with American composer Lori Laitman. Her website is artsongs.com. And uh, she has written many art songs. Uh, she's written operas and uh, song cycles and uh, other forms of music, mostly vocal. And uh, she is on the OSU campus uh, right now uh, doing a residency. 
uh, part of the USU Year of the Arts. This broadcast is part of USU Year of the Arts as well. And so yesterday, Lori Leitman gave a keynote address for the Center for Women and Gender. And tonight, there will be a recital featuring uh, Lori Leitman's songs performed by students and faculty of USU. That's tonight at 7.30 in the Russell Wanless Performance Hall at uh, USU. Uh, coming up, we will talk about and hear uh, music from uh, Lori Leitman's Oratorio Vedem, uh, based on a story from the Holocaust. A true story from the Holocaust. We'll also uh, talk about uh, her opera, The Scarlet Letter. Here's some music from that as well. Much more following this break. At last I stand upon the spot I should have taken years ago. I should have stood beside this woman. She is no fantasy. She wears no false display of piety, but bears the letter of a sin. A common sin without complaint. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guest for the hour is composer Lori Leitman. And we opened this segment of the program with a portion of an aria from Lori Leitman's opera, The Scarlet Letter. That was a portion of the aria, uh, Ye People of New England. It's Dimsdale's Confession. The tenor there was Dominic Armstrong, and uh, that was recorded live with Opera Colorado Orchestra, conducted by Ari Pelto. Lori Leitman uh, can be found at artsongs.com. She's an American composer who's been called by Fanfare Magazine one of the most talented and intriguing of living composers. She's composed multiple operas and choral works, more than uh, 250 songs, setting texts by classical and contemporary poets, including those who perished in the Holocaust. And uh, coming up in the program, we'll be talking about her oratorio vedem based on uh, the Holocaust. Um, and we'll also get talking about uh, her opera based on the Scarlet Letter and uh, and much more. So Lori Leitman is uh, with us, and uh, she's uh, doing a residency at Utah State University. So last night she gave the keynote address for the Center for Women and Gender. And um, then tonight, 7.30 in the Russell Wanless Performance Hall, a uh, a recital. That's right. And I want to say that I really am so impressed by the students and faculty here. Um, and, and a shout out to Cindy Dewey, who was the one who was able to match particular songs of mine with the particular talents of particular students. Mm-hmm. And she did a masterful job because um, certain voices work better for certain songs, and she she knows her students' voices. Mm. So that was really interesting. And everybody worked very hard and uh, and improved, I think, with all of the coachings that I've been doing. Yeah. So you coach the singers. Absolutely. And this is a great opportunity, right? Um, if you're singing Beethoven, you can't yes. get coached by the composer. Yes. And, you know, I, I have improved as I have gotten older with my notation, and I really need to go back and re-notate I mean, or just make clearer or better editions of my earlier songs. Part of this is due to my daughter, who's a composer. She's getting her Ph.D. at Eastman. She's fantastic. Her name is Diana Rosenblum. And um, her notation is so spectacular. Um, I've learned so much from watching her and learning from her. Um, So, and then I have a great copyist. Yeah. (laughs) So. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So, um, you know, like like mother, like daughter. Uh, right. I guess did did your did your daughter see you doing composing? Oh yeah, all my kids growing saw up. Me. Yeah, sure. They and, all saw me. I okay. mean, that was that was just normal. You know, uh, they're all musicians. My oldest is a lawyer and uh, and a pianist, and he's married to a pianist from the Republic of Georgia. Wow. And my uh, daughter is married to a pianist from the Republic of Taiwan, and my youngest son is a harpsichordist and a pianist. Wow. Wow. The music runs yes. in your family. Your parents were musical. My mother. My your mother. mother. Yeah, okay. Not my All father. Right. Yeah. 
And you, you say in your bio that uh, they set you down in front of a record player? Yes, that was, I think, in retrospect, where I developed this love of words and music. And then I forgot about it until I was grown up. Yeah. And then it was just came flooding back. Hmm. Um, And I I really want to ask you about this. Uh, At some point in your career, you you started um, composing for industrial films? Yes. Um, This was after graduate school and after I got married. And uh, my husband began law school in um, New York City at Columbia. And I worked with a filmmaker, Dick Roberts, and I wrote industrial, uh, you know, the the scores to these industrial films for Psychology Today and Camera Arts Magazine. That was fantastic training Hmm. uh, because um, you had a very small budget, so you had to learn how to be creative using your instruments because you, you couldn't hire a lot of people. You had to hire a limited amount of people. And often you had maybe 10 days between the time you first got the job and, and the time you had to produce the score fully recorded. It was a lot of uh, pressure. So, so good practice, good. Yes. Yeah, good experience. It was it was a great experience. It was yeah. st- stressful. But <laughs> I, I wonder if any of those can can we go back and watch those films and hear your scores? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, good. I'd have to <laughs> I don't even know if it's available on the web, but you know what is available? Uh, somebody sent it. It was actually my my composition teacher's daughter who found this, and I think it's somewhere on the web. Um was an old film that Yale School of Music put out in 1976 about the composers at Yale, the student composers at Yale. And I'm in there and featured, I must have been 21 or something, because I went to school when I was 16 and had my master's by the time I was 21. Um, So I'm guessing it was that year, the last year I was there. Um, What was so interesting looking back is that even though I was featured an awful lot and it was my music playing a lot throughout the film and me you know telling people how to record the music in the in the studio booth and everything um when it came to the male students they put this uh they put their names and they said this is so and so blah 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 but i was just this unidentified person interesting yeah it wow. was weird yeah i didn't notice it then but i certainly noticed it now yeah yeah, and you you say in your bio that um, when you went to Yale, it was seven hundred male students, two hundred females. No, it was a thousand men. Thou- thousand two. And two hundred women. Yeah. it was the third class of women at Yale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how how was that? How it was, was a what lot was the of experience fun. Like? Yeah. <laughs> for me. Okay, for you. All right. Yeah. It wasn't ideal, obviously. Uh, it was <laughs> very very imbalanced. But I think in music, um, it was. Um, more balanced than yeah. in other fields. Yeah, I think I saw on your. I was uh, scrolling through your uh, your Twitter feed, mm-hmm. um, which Uh-oh. which again, what 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 is the <laughs> what is the uh, Twitter feed again? Oh, vocal composer. Vocal at vocal composer. Yeah, and you had something about I think it was BBC Proms. Was, I was, was going to commission or, or going to feature works equal between women and men. Oh yes, yes, and I. That's right. That was a recent post. Yeah. yeah. I saw it on Facebook, so I okay. tweeted it. Yeah. yeah, that's wonderful. I guess that's something you'd get behind. Um, you retweeted well, it, right? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Right. Uh, needed, do you think? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the there's such an imbalance. I mean, uh, I forget who did the study like la- last year. I think maybe it was, I, I don't know who did this study, but there are just so few women that are played uh, as composers in major orchestras, and I don't know why that is. Hmm. I want to talk about, um, recently uh, there's a performance of a piece you did, a, a song cycle called Our Women People. Yes, that was uh, fun and interesting. It was my. It was commissioned by the Howard Hansen Fund at, uh, for American Music at Eastman and the uh, Susan B. Anthony Center for um, Women's, Studies, I think I'd have to look up the uh, exact thing. And it was for um, SATB vocal quartet and piano forehand, so sort of like a Liebes leader. Uh, and it was specifically meant to be like that. That was the commission. Um, they wanted uh, to have 
uh, this piece celebrate 100 years of women's right to vote in New York State. And um, um, it was interesting because uh, as soon as I found the poetry of Alice Dewar Miller, I knew I could do the piece. She was... um, uh, a noted writer at, at, in the early 1900s, and she had um, a newspaper column at the uh, Herald Tribune, I think, or New York uh, something. The New York Tribune, yes, apparently. Yes, yeah. uh, called Our Women People, and then she published it as a book in 1915 with a sequel coming out two years later in 1917, which settled the question because the title of the book was Women Are People. So she was extremely brilliant and would take... The news of the day, which was pretty crazy, and then she would skew it, skewer it, you know, with her satire. Mm. Um, And so, um, for example, one of my songs is Home and Where It Is, which um, there was an Indiana judge who recently ruled that home is where the husband is. So that was the, you know, the top of the poem. And then her thing is, okay, if home is where the husband is, I'll go to the bar I'll go to the pool room, you know, and, you know, happy, happy to do that, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, she was just very, very funny. And so those, I I wrote the first one, uh, and I wrote the second one, and then I thought, hmm, the way I'm responding to her poetry, I'm coming out with these sort of warped parlor songs. That's what they sounded like. Uh, And that's the way it had to be because that's the way I responded to her poetry. And I thought, this isn't going to work for a whole song cycle. So then I found a speech that I thought was fantastic and also full of wit by Susan B. Anthony. And I took a little chunk of it and I chopped it up into four pieces. And then I interspersed that with uh, Alice Stewart Miller. And then um, I thought it could have been done then, but then I thought it would be a nice touch to set the 19th Amendment to music as well. And so I made the Susan B. Anthony movements uh, a cappella, so they can also be removed and sung um, as a separate song cycle. Very um, yeah, practical. Interesting, yeah, and yeah. I and the amendment I I made uh, um, two two versions: one a cappella, which would go with the a cappella Anthony, or uh, one with piano if the whole thing was done together. Right. So um, it was it was interesting delving into the history of suffragists. Uh, in New York State uh, was a very big factor, you know, in helping women to get the vote. Um, the Western states got the votes first, I think. Wyoming, right, Wyoming. right. Wyoming first, I yes. think, yeah. Yeah, and it's amazing to think that just 100 years ago, women could not vote and that your um, rights as a person were tied to your marital status. Uh, it's, I, I'm not aware of any of the other amendments that have been set to music. Well, I was thinking very recently that I really need to set the 25th Amendment. Yeah, 25th Amendment. I think that's all I need to say. Okay, very good. (laughs) Very good. Um, So the the organization, Words and Music, that presented this? Oh, they just presented it recently. That's a recent performance. Performance. Yes, Um, first it was done uh, last March up at at Eastman with the students. And then the one I noticed was the Words and Music. Yes, um, they did a wonderful job. Which was kind of an interesting and and interactive format. It was fabulous. Um, They... Because it's a new piece, um, the way that they present new music is to, uh, first of all, you come in and you get a glass of wine. So that's already good if you like wine. Maybe not in right, Utah, right. but, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Could be an equivalent in Utah, perhaps. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. A, a brownie or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then they perform the piece. Um, well, first I give a little talk and I explained things uh, similar to what I just told you about Alice Dewar Miller and the whole genesis of the work. Um, and then um, after they performed it, then people could ask me questions and um, and ask them questions about the work. And then everyone had dinner, a delicious dinner <laughs> with more wine and more dessert. And then they performed it again. And it it was interesting, um, I think, and then people talked again. So it was a wonderful way to present new music, and kudos to them. Yeah, that's interesting. You perform it again. Yes. So you I, hear it again. Get, get more out of it the, the, the next yes. time through. Yeah, and I think that's a very valuable thing to do with new music because who can, even a composer can't grasp another composer's, you know, work on the first hearing as well as with two hearings. Yeah. What was it like? Um, 
for you, that interaction with the audience. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. I, I like talking to an audience, and it was interesting to get their takes or their questions. I think, you know, everyone seemed to enjoy it uh, very much, and they thought it was very funny. Some people were laughing so hard they were very loud (laughs) 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 because there's a lot of humor in the piece, Mm -hmm. a lot of humor. And um, the other challenge to that particular piece was since Alice Dewar Miller's poems were making fun of men and I had two men and two women, how would I use the men in that setting? Because it was really from a woman's point of view. So I had to think of a way to use them dramatically and Within each song, they're kind of commenting as oblivious men to what the women are saying. Whereas in the Susan B. Anthony settings, it's a different dramatic interaction because they're all, they all become Susan B. Anthony. Hmm. So it was very interesting. Um, Dramatically, how do you, it was a puzzle to solve. How do you solve uh, setting Miller f- with with mixed gender. You're listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams, my guest for the hour, is composer Lori Lakeman. She's on the USU campus uh, giving a residency, and uh, we're enjoying the hour with her, including hearing some of her music. So we don't have access to a recording of the piece we're talking about, Our Women People, but uh, let's hear next a uh, short song. This is Men with Small Heads. This is uh, Randall Scarlatta singing with the composer Larry Leitman on the piano. This is set to a poem by Thomas Lux. Men with Small Heads, a song composed by my guest for the hour, Laurie Laitman. Laurie Laitman was on the piano in that performance. The singer was Randall Scarlatta, and that's set to a poem by Thomas Lux. Let's go to another break. When we come back, we're going to uh, talk about um, a couple of uh, Laurie Laitman's uh, major works, an oratorio called Vedem, we'll hear some music, uh, an uh, opera called The Scarlet Letter, uh, set up to the Hawthorne uh, novel, and we'll hear some music from that as well, much more following the break. I'm Tom Williams. You're listening to Access Utah. My guest for the hour is composer Lori Laitman. 
To open segment one of the program today, we heard uh, the first part of Lori Leitman's song, The Apple Orchard. It's a beautiful song. To begin now the last segment of the program, let's hear the rest of the song. So that is uh, the second half of the beautiful song called The Apple Orchard. It uh, is set to a poem by Dana Joya, tenor Robert McPherson, with Laurie Laitman on the piano. The composer is Laurie Laitman. She's our guest for the hour. She's on the USU campus giving a residency. Last night she gave a keynote address for the Center for Women and Gender. And tonight there's a recital of her music performed by students and faculty at USU. Uh, that's uh, tonight's 7 o'clock Russell Wanless Performance Hall. More information uh, on Lori Laitman at her website, artsongs.com. Why don't you talk a little bit about um, your oratorio, Vedem? Is that how you pronounce it? Oh, um, that's, yeah, it's Vedem. Vedem. Yes. Uh, Vedem, um, which is, uh, well, I'll have you, have you uh, tell, tell the story. It's a very impactful Right. Oratorio. Um, Vedem was commissioned by Music of Remembrance, which uh, was a group founded by Minna Miller and is based in Seattle. And they are devoted to playing music from the Holocaust and to commissioning new works about the Holocaust to tell new stories because often the best way to create empathy and understanding about something as horrible as the Holocaust is to tell an individual story. So... Minna had called me and wanted me to tell the story about this secret magazine called Vedem that the boys of Teretzin concentration camp had. And this magazine, Vedem in Czech, means in the lead. Every Friday night between 1942 and 1944, the 40 or so boys who lived in home number one in the barracks L-17 at Teretzin read their contributions to the magazine aloud. They wrote it down during the week, and they read it aloud, even though if they were discovered, they would have been killed. The editor of Vedem was this 14-year-old, or maybe he was 15 by that point, genius Peter Gintz. And he was uh, very, inst- you know, he, he made everyone do their job, and if they didn't do it, he would just write it himself. Mm. And so... At the end of the war, there was one boy left at Terrison, Sidney Tausig. He was uh, slated to be transported to Auschwitz, but his father shooed the horses for the Germans and convinced the Germans that in order to do his job properly, he still needed his son's help. Um, Sidney took 800 pages. There were 800 pages of this magazine and created a little metal box and buried them with his father's help behind the uh, blacksmith's shop. And then when the war was over, he got them. Uh, And 
the amazing thing about this is that it gives this incredible insight and look into what the daily lives of these boys were like. There were pictures of the crematorium. They knew what was happening. Uh, there, there were some incredible genius boys that wrote amazing poetry. So it had poetry, it had pictures, it had prose, it had stories, it had feelings. And then um, Sidney and his other, the few that survived, tried to get this published, but it wasn't published for decades until 1995 when it was published in a book called We Are Children Just the Same. Mm. So um, then the question became, would I just set some of the poems or prose that was in the magazine, or would is there something else I can do to make this uh, a, a dramatic uh, story? Um, and I turned to my wonderful poet, David Mason, who wrote the libretto for my opera, The Scarlet Letter. And what he did was create a story that told the story of the boys who were at Territson. Who, who who told the story about the voice who wrote Vedim, and within it we interspersed six of the poems from the actual magazine. Um, and, and and like Our Women People, which has some kind of um, options for performances, there's the entire oratorio, but within it, um, I and let me just say that it's scored for boy choir, which dramatically... Um, uh, is very effective because it's telling the story of the boys who are the same age as the boy choir. Um, it can also be done by children's choir equally effectively, I think, and it has been. Um, so it's it's scored for children's choir, boy choir, uh, and an instrumental quartet of clarinet, violin, cello, and piano, and then two soloists, uh, mezzo, soprano, and tenor. So I gave all of the poems from the Veta magazine to the soloists, so that you could actually perform just the songs as their own song cycle. So, And I have created versions where it could be done with both tenor and mezzo-soprano, or just mezzo-soprano, or just tenor, but with clarinet and piano. That's the way it appears in the oratorio, too, so it can be removed and performed separately. Um, and... Um, uh, so it's such a... It's an important story to tell, uh, and hopefully one that creates an understanding. And what I what I also want to say is that it was pretty surreal to me. There was it was premiered in 2010, and it came out on Noxos in 2011. And at the time of the premiere, there were six Vedim boys who were still alive, and they were all in their 80s. And four of them came to the premiere, and some of them didn't even know that the others were alive. They hadn't seen each other wow. since the war, some of them. So that was amazing. You never yeah. know. I mean, who would have thought? I never thought that, like, you're a composer. I thought you write music. But so many interesting things have happened, and I've met so many interesting people just from the variety of projects that I've done. And I have a whole catalog. Um, within within my songs, I have devoted a significant portion of my work towards setting poetry about the Holocaust because I feel it's important. Hmm. I guess one of the purposes would be to remember, right? Absolutely. And to honor. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You hit it on the head. Um, on your website, you know, there's a photo of, of the four, That's the four right. that you mentioned, the four boys One of them Tertesine. has since yeah. died, unfortunately, but it was so wonderful. And they met with the, the boy choir, and the boys of the choir had so many questions for the the men who used to boy, be boys. Mm. And, and I think that their great um, gift to us is to show us how to live, how to continue living after what they went through. Mm. I mean, that's a hard thing to do, but they they managed. Not everyone did manage, but they, they survived, and um, it's a great lesson. And we're going to hear next the first movement from Lori Leitman's oratorio, Vedem. The movement is titled The Transports, Hear My Story Now, as performed by Music of Remembrance, with soloists, mezzo-soprano Angela Niederlow and tenor Ross Hauck, and the Northwest Boy Choir under Joseph Cernko, and violinist Mikhail Schmidt, cellist Walter Gray, and clarinetist Lara DeLuca, with pianist Mina Miller. The work was commissioned by Mina Miller and Music of Remembrance. 
Let's hear this now. This is from Laurie uh, Lakeman's Oratorio Vedum.
have heard the first movement from Laurie Laitman's oratorio, Vedem. The uh, first movement is titled The Transports, Hear My Story Now, and was performed by Music of Remembrance with soloist mezzo-soprano Angela Niederloh, a tenor Ross Hauck, the Northwest Boy Choir under Joseph Cernko, violinist Mikhail Schmidt, cellist Walter Gray, clarinetist Laura De Luca, and pianist Mina Miller. I wonder to have you just have a few minutes left. I want to sure. have you talk about the Scarlet Letter. Oh, this I love the very, Scarlet very Letter. successful yeah. opera, a libretto again by David, David Mason. David Mason, yes. Um, so um, I was at a Songs Across the Americas Festival in 2006 in Conway, Arkansas, where um, uh, my songs were being done and, and uh, by the faculty and students. And one of the faculty members, Robert Holden, loved my music, and he said, "Will you write an opera for us?" And I said, "Okay." And then <laughs> I asked Dave if he would be my librettist. Um, well, I also asked Dana Joya, who is my other great librettist. I have well, and then I have another great librettist, uh, Leah Lax. But. Um, um, Dana at that point was chairman of National Endowment for the Arts, uh, so he he suggested Dave, and Dave and I, you know, we're a great team, and he wrote this wonderful libretto. He took Hawthorne's thorny and thick prose and distilled it into this incredible uh, poetry, and then I set it to music, and University of Central Arkansas did it uh, in 2008, and then I searched... um, for a professional company to do it. Um, and thanks to um, wonderful stage director, Beth Greenberg, whom I, m- I met subsequently, she got it to the attention of uh, Opera Colorado. And the stars aligned, and Dave Mason was named Poet Laureate of Colorado, and they said, we want to do Scarlet Letter. Um, that was fantastic. Then they ran into some financial difficulties, and the um, opera, uh, the premiere of the opera, was postponed for three years. During which time I um, reorchestrated it uh, twice, and then another time when I added five extra instruments. So it finally premiered in uh, May 2016, and um, our, our original Hester was to be uh, Elizabeth Futrell, but she got ill and had to withdraw. Uh, and we were lucky to find the wonderful soprano. Uh, Laura Claycomb. Oh, that's a that's a good get, right? Yeah. Oh, fantastic! But because Laura had this incredible coloratura, I rewrote Hester's lines for her. But um, uh, the way that the score is, there uh, uh, Hester can be done either by a coloratura or a lyric or even a lowish soprano. And sometimes I have three notes on a stem, and people can pick and choose what mm. suits them best. Right. What what is it you think about the Scarlet Letter? It seems to come back in various well, forms. It's a classic. It's I mean he was so far ahead of his time and and it's so important because here you you know you supposedly have this uh, woman Hester Prynne who is being shunned for adultery but of course she is the strong one she's the one with the true moral sense who doesn't betray who her secret lover is and and while everyone else around her 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 estranged husband whom she had presumed dead you know disintegrates with hatred and rage and obsession and trying to discover who the father of her child is and 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 the father of her child is so weak and hypocritical you know they 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 both implode and she is left as the strong moral center and so i think having a strong woman is a great thing in opera you don't often get a strong woman and um and just um I mean these these themes of duplicity and uh, sin and uh, religious zealotry. I mean we're still living with that today as well, and it shows you a way to live. Well, my guest for the hour on Access Utah today has been composer Lori Laitman, and we were talking there about her opera, The Scarlet Letter, and we're going to go out uh, today with an aria. From the Scarlet Letter, Beyond All Price, Hester's lullaby to her daughter Pearl. We'll hear soprano Laura Claycomb, recorded live with Opera Colorado Orchestra, conducted by Ari Pelto. Before we uh, go to that, we thank Lori Leitman for uh, giving us uh, some of her time. She's on the USU campus right now for a residency. Last night, she gave a keynote address for the Center for Women and Gender. 
and uh, she's been coaching students and faculty on her songs. That'll result in a recital tonight, 7.30, Russell Wanless Performance Hall at USU. And uh, her visit and our broadcast, part of USU's Year of the Arts. More information on Laurie Laitman, by the way, at her website, artsongs.com. Let's uh, go out now with this uh, piece from uh, Laurie Laitman's The Scarlet Letter. Thanks for listening to Access Utah Today.